We're continuing our Live Green series, The Essentials of Discipleship. And today we're going to be cracking open a scripture that we're going to be living in for the next six weeks. We're going to take the next six weeks and unpack Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So if you're able, will you stand to your feet one last time? We just do this as a way to honor God's word if you're new. Uh, but I'm going to be unpacking the first part of what we call the Great Commission. All right, so this scene is taking place at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is after Jesus has already been resurrected. He's about to ascend to heaven. These are the final words he gives to his disciples. And the passage says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and just take over this place. Fill me with your spirit. Let me say what you want me to say in the way you want me to say it. And God, we just pray that you're going to mobilize your church this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Have you ever seen somebody from afar that you just thought was a big deal, and then you got up close to them, and they weren't all that great? You know what I mean? Where you go and you see, and like the, the blemishes of their character, like you get a little bit closer, and you start to realize, ooh, that's, that, that's not what I thought it would be. Like all those narratives you put in your head that put that person on the pedestal kind of come crashing down. It's a real bummer when you're Superman becomes just, just a man. And, and, and it is a bummer, but there's one case where it's encouraging, and I don't want to sound shady. I don't delight in somebody else's shortcomings, but that's one thing I do love about the Bible is that there, there are no heroes in this story. <laughs> like, there's nobody who really has it all together. Everybody is a screw-up. I mean, you think that people who are, in, who are in the Bible, they would just be, like, better. I, I don't know. I mean, just, just something about that. But you realize, you start reading these pages, and you realize that these people are, these are people, are, they're not even just screw-ups, they're big-time screw-ups, like kill your brother, screw-up, commit adultery, screw-up, deny Jesus when you get threatened, screw-up. I mean, God uses, like, the B-team at best, and that's encouraging for people like me, right? I mean, think about it. Jesus chose 12 people to change the world. He spent over three years with these guys, teaching them, training them, being with them, pouring out into him. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him multiply food. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him raise from the dead. And Jesus gave them the power to do the same. You would think at this point they would believe, right? But what happens what happens when the going gets tough? What happens when, when Jesus got arrested? They all fled, right? What happened when Jesus was getting accused, accused? Peter denied him not once, not twice, three times. Peter, you're out, right? And, and then you've got them saying, like, even when he was getting crucified, where were his 12 disciples? The, the, the women showed up. Women, more power to you. The guys weren't anywhere to be found. And when he tells them to go to the place where he directed them to go and said he would meet them there, what was their response? Verse 16 says, go to the mountain. Verse 17 says, some worshiped, but some doubted. And I'm like, guys, come on. At this point, you should not be doubting. You have seen all of this, and you're still doubting? Now, time out. Where would you be in this equation? 
Now, psychological, psychological statistics say that if you're following Jesus, you're going to automatically put yourself in the protagonist camp, right? You're going to be like, well, of course, I'd be worshiping Matt. I'd be like, you are the risen God, Jesus Christ. Like, we all, we all want to be that. Nobody wants to be over here with Thomas being like, I didn't believe him either, right? I mean, so, so nobody wants to be that guy. But these disciples had front row seats to the most prolific moments in history, and they still doubted. Sometimes I think to myself, Jesus why didn't you just pick better disciples? I mean, like, if anybody knew who was going to doubt and who was going to worship, it's Jesus. I'm like, why didn't you just pick all worshipers? I mean, why, well, uh, Jesus, help, help her brother out. Like, make yourself look good. But, but, but stay with me here because the Great Commission, I mean, we always hear verse 18 through 20, man, go and make disciples. But we rarely listen to the 16 through 20, and I feel like we do a grave disservice if we skip over these verses because we miss out a lot on how God uses us and who God uses because here's the deal. Jesus wasn't trying to make himself look good. If he was, he wouldn't have died at the pinnacle of his ministry. Just as he's starting to gain some steam, he just gets crucified. I mean, that's, that's not what he's going after. What he's going after is he wants to mobilize his 12 disciples, but not only his 12 disciples, he wants to mobilize every single disciple after them until he comes back. See, this Jesus, he's kind of a sneaky guy, right? Check this out. Because I think a lot of us, more than we want to admit, fall in the doubting camp, right? We might doubt who God is, but more often than not, we doubt in the church. There's a lot of doubt when it comes to, can God actually use me? Right? We're cool with them using Pastor Mike. We're cool with them using all these like missionaries and evangelists and all that stuff. But what about me, God? Can you really use me? And this gives us some great insight because God really is saying, Jesus is saying here in verse 17 that even in your doubts, even when you should be better, even when you should have gotten it by now, even though you have been, should have been much farther along, God is still going to use you. Even if you think you don't have it all together, he's going to activate you. Even when your confidence is low, his Holy Spirit is able to give you what you need to do what you need to do. And that's great. That's great in church. That's great for the pew hype. You know what I'm talking about? But, like, but, but what about in those moments? I mean, have you ever had the feeling or have you ever had like a for real conversation with God where you're like, man, Lord, I get it, but can you really use me? I mean, I'm not ready to lead other people. I don't have the skills. I don't know what I'm doing. Make disciples. I don't even know what that means if I'm honest. Like what, what does it even look like in my everyday life? Or maybe you thought, Another side of things where you're just like, man, Jesus, I'm so jacked up. If anybody knows, Lord, you know I am so messed up. There's no way that you can use me. And we've all wrestled with these thoughts. We might not say them out loud. We definitely don't say them at church. We're just like, hey, praise God, I'm having a great week. How about you? Bless the Lord. And then we just kind of like move on, keep the church lingo high so somebody doesn't actually ask you about what's going on in your real life. But this is, what, this is what we're called to. We're called to be used by God. And if you don't believe it, man, buckle up, because these two verses are about to blow your mind when it comes to, I'm hoping to convince you that you are an ambassador of Jesus, and you are ready to be used, ready to make disciples, because your everyday life is full of kingdom opportunities to be used by God in mighty and miraculous ways. I don't want to just sing about it. I want you to actually do it. So I'm ready. I'm ready to give you. It's a hope-filled, grace-fueled truth, and I'm ready to bring this. So here we go. Verse 16. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the Bible. It says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Sounds like a pretty straightforward verse, right? Matthew just needs to transition the disciples to the mountains. No, 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 no. Listen to what it says. It says, they went to the mountain, and here are the key words, that Jesus directed them to go. 
And after they got there, guess who showed up? Jesus, right? Jesus, right? This is your church answer. You missed it. That was a, that was a freebie. You couldn't have got it wrong. <laughs> but here's the deal. When you do what Jesus tells you to do, you need to expect him to show up. Okay? When you do what he tells you to do, you just need to be ready. You need to expect him to show up. You know, I was marked early in my marriage when it comes to finances. And I don't know if it's like, because when I was, I got saved later in life and I just started reading the Bible. Um, and, and one of the first stories I read was Ananias and Sapphira. So maybe that's what marked me because if you don't know that, like Ananias and Sapphira, these two people, they bring money to the church and then they hold some of it back. So boom, she dies. And then her husband comes in and he dies. I was like, okay, note to self, don't mess with God's money, right? That was kind of my takeaway. And so I had the fear of the Lord in that. But um, so I got married. Um, Tracy and I, uh, we're actually celebrating our 15-year anniversary next month. So pretty excited about that. But I remember when we first got married, I mean, I was working a, a, a entry-level position in a nonprofit, and she was getting her master's degree. So translation, we broke. We didn't have a lot of money at all, right? So we, we were good stewards, but man, we were just trying to make ends meet. We didn't have anything in savings. And, and I remember when we first started to get married, we, we started to build a little bit of a savings, and we felt like God said, hey, give that away. And it was about $300. For us, that was savings. So that was a big deal. So we gave it away, and then like two days later, my car breaks down for guess how much? About $300. I'm like, I did what you said. What are you doing with my car, Lord? So, but I kid you not, like two days later, I get a letter from my Uncle George. He lives in Ohio. Hadn't talked to him in a while. He just said, hey, Matthew, thinking about you. Um, man, the Lord put this on my heart to give this to you. Guess what it was? $300. Right back. And I was like, okay, Lord. Okay, I see how this works, right? Again, we're going, we're going a few months later. Now, now, in my wife's family, gift giving is a big deal at Christmas and stuff like that. And I'm like the worst gift receiver in the world. I open up, even if I'm super excited about it, I'm like, oh, this is really great, thanks. And then Tracy's home, you open a gift, she's like, oh my gosh, look at this, this is so great. Like everybody, like, it's like a show. I had to go to drama school to like get ready for gift giving at her house. But it was one of those things where we're, I'm like, okay, if this is a big deal for you, let's save money, let's have enough money for presents. And again, same type of thing. We felt the prompting from the Lord. He said, give it away. I'm like, oh man, okay. Okay, we'll, we'll give it away. And so we gave this money away. Again, like a week or two later, it's like late November. I'm like, all right, Lord, we don't have anything. And you know, gifts are not a big deal, like in the long, in the big picture, long run type of thing. But this is what I love about God, man. He cares about the little things. So I, I get another letter from my cousin Kirsten. Haven't talked to her in like 20 years, literally. And, um, and she's doing all right. Her husband uh, owns 1-800-CONTACTS, so they're doing good. Um, and so... But she wrote me, hey, you know, missed your wedding, so sorry things were busy here, but here's a gift. And it was, again, almost the exact amount that we gave which he put right back into our hands. So when you do what Jesus tells you to do, you just got to expect him to show up in the big things and the little things. And here's the deal. Like, I love that God gets into the nitty-gritty of our lives. But, this, but also kind of another side, we don't give, disciples don't give money to get from God. Okay, we don't twist his arm. We don't say, I did this, so now you owe me that. That's not how it works. But there are kingdom principles, like Psalm 37, 25, that says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Like, God does what he does. And when you do what he tells you to do, church, we just have to expect him to show up. Okay, and when you go where God calls you to go, you will be mobilized. 
They went to the mountain. Jesus showed up. He gives them the principles that are going to change the world. Go make disciples. You know, I was talking to a lady, Jerry Lynn. She, she goes to our church. I was talking to her last Sunday, and she was telling me this story. She's like, man, Matt, there was this one day I was just full of the Spirit. I'm driving, and, and just all of a sudden, I felt prompted by God to just stop at this garage sale. She's like, I don't go to garage sales. Like, this is just what, I, so I just stopped, and I said, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? She gets out. She goes and talks to the lady who's running the garage sale, and she gets into this conversation with this woman. She says, man, my daughter's in a rough spot. Pray for her. Pray for her. She didn't really say what was going on or who her daughter was, but she just kind of said that to Jerry. So Jerry left and said, okay, I will pray for your daughter. And over the next week, she just prayed. She just felt pressed by the Spirit. She's like, I interceded for that girl. I didn't even know who it was, what was wrong, but I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And she said, about five or six days later, I felt, again, pressed by the Lord to go back to that lady's house. She's like, I didn't know what was going to happen. So she goes, she knocks on the door. The lady opens the door. She's like, what do you want? Like in a really foul mood. And Jerry's like, hey, I'm the lady who talked to you last week about your daughter. Her face kind of drops. She's like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, um, come on in. She comes in. Her daughter's there. Long story short, Jerry ends up talking to this lady and her daughter for about two hours. They pray together. They cry together. She ends up giving her life to the Lord because Jerry is just decided to go and do what God's called her to do. And she stopped at some random garage sale without knowing what was going on and what was going to happen. Because listen, when we do, and this is not, this is not rocket science today. But this is such a key, pivotal kingdom point that when we do what God tells us to do, he's going to show up. And when you go where he wants you to go, you're going to get mobilized. You know, Pastor Mike talked about this last week. Don't miss out on the adventure of our faith. I mean, so many Christians say they're bored with Christianity. And it's really because it's kind of like if the, if the Gator football team goes down on the field and just stays in the huddle for the whole game. Of course they're going to be bored. Of course they're going to lose the game. And I feel like sometimes we do that. We come to church. We get in the huddle. This is the huddle, y'all. This is not the end goal. This is the mobilization unit. And if you don't get in the game the rest of the week, yes, you're going to have a lame Christianity because God didn't call you to just get in the huddle. He called you to go make disciples. And when we do that, we come alive in ways that nothing else gives us. I mean, we are activated. There's an activation of our faith when we do what God tells us to do. James 2.22 says, you see that his faith and actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. So don't leave your faith in the pews on Sunday. Your life is bursting. It is bursting with kingdom potential. Everywhere you go, there is an opportunity for God to show up and do what only he can do. When you go to Publix, when you go to Walmart, when you go to a restaurant, when you go to school, when you go to work, there are potentials. This might be the takeaway you take away from the sermon. Man, just wake up in the morning, seek God, spend some time with him and ask him two questions. Say, God, what do you want me to do today and where do you want me to go? I'll tell you what, you ask yourself those two questions every single day with a faithful heart, your life is gonna change because God will honor those questions and he will show up where you're at. It'll change a trip to Publix to get ham and cheese into a divine moment in the deli. Like, I mean, there are moments like that where I'm a shopper, I go in and out, I'm kind of your quintessential man, I'm like, I have a mission and I'm going to time myself and see if I can do it faster than the last time, and I'm going to get it and go. And there are some times where I have to just stop and say, all right, Lord, what do you, who do you want me to talk to? Who, who's here at Publix that I need to talk to? And then it becomes a mission. Now I'm like, is it this aisle? Aisle three, Lord? Is that person looking at me? You know, aisle four. I'm, I'm in the deli. I'm like, somebody's like, hey, what do you want? I'm like, well, what do you want? You know, I mean, it's just like, it, it's, a, it's a mystery. It's a fun. It's like a game for me because God's going to show up. I know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when and where. 
Now here's the deal though. But what if you still have, Matt, what if, I still have doubts, okay? What if you're doubting that Jesus can actually use you even after, after answering these, asking these questions? I mean, it's one of those things, if you've been in church for a long time, it's kind of embarrassing to be like, I don't know how to make disciples. I know I should, but I don't, so we kind of keep it to ourselves. What if you still are doubting with the fact, like, I just don't feel equipped. I don't think I know how to do this. I don't know how to hear God's voice like Jerry Lynn. If he talks to me, I'm like, I don't, who is that? Is that me? Is that the burrito I eat? I don't even know what's going on right now. But the tension is this, we are all, all, all y'all, we're all called to make disciples. But the tension is a lot of us don't feel equipped to do so. So let me break this down biblically, what I hear most often coming from people in the church when it comes to not making disciples. Reason number one is this, I'm just not equipped enough to make disciples. Iterations of this are, man, Matt, I'm just too young in my faith, I've never been trained, nobody's ever discipled me, how am I supposed to know what to do with other people? Okay, so let me answer that question with a story from Mark 5. This is a little bit lengthy, but I think it's worth it. All right, so Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Jesus and his disciples went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a hill nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us into among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs, and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed off a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to saw Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead to Jesus, leave the region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus to go with him. But Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. All right, before, we can, before I move on, can we just acknowledge that there are some weird stories in the Bible? I mean, if you've been in church, you've heard this a few times, but this is your first time hearing this story. It's like, okay, cool, a guy with a ton of demons that can talk. Jesus puts him in a pig, and then the pigs run off a cliff and literally commit suicide in the lake. Oh, yeah, cool, 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 cool like that, yeah. Uh, that, that, that's a pretty normal day for me, too, right? I mean, kind of crazy, but... That's a different story. But for purposes of our story here, let's recap. Jesus meets a man who lives in a graveyard, and if the name is accurate, Legion, he has thousands of demons inside of him. He regularly cuts himself, screams at the top of his lungs for maybe a couple hours a day just for, just for fun, and he's got supernatural demonic strength. So let's be clear. This guy's not first on my list for people I want to disciple. Okay, this guy has a dark demonic past. Uh, he has been known as a crazy person all of his life. He has no friends, no influence, no training, no equipping, and spent maybe a few hours with Jesus at tops before Jesus peaced out on him and left him alone in the graveyard. 
if there was ever someone who had an excuse not to make disciples, ding, 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 first place goes to creepy demoniac guy, right? He is going to be picked last for discipleship dodgeball every single time. But we got to connect the dots here, okay? You see Jesus comes, he runs to Jesus, he sees Jesus with all these other disciples. He's like, let me be one of your disciples, let me come with you. And Jesus is like, no, that's cool, you stay here. You could take that one of two ways. He could have been like crestfallen, or he could do what Jesus tells him to do, which is go and tell those around him what it is that God has done for them. Because that's awkward. That's awkward. Can I come with you? No. <laughs> you know, that's kind of that's kind of be kind of tough for his for his psyche. But the, the thing is, he goes and he does it. He goes to the Decapolis, and the Decapolis are ten Greco-Roman cities that kind of formed a confederation under Roman rule. The thing is, there's like no Jewish influence in the Decapolis, so this is a really tough mission field for this random guy who just met Jesus like five minutes ago to go preach to. But he does what Jesus tells him to do, and we see further on in the Gospels that people from the Decapolis start hearing about Jesus and they start to come to him. They start to get healed. They start to believe in Christ. So apparently, Jesus believed that simply by believing in him and being transformed by him is enough. So let me just ask you this. How many of you are in here and you, you believe Jesus? How many of you are following Jesus? You believe who he is, who he says he is? Okay, then Jesus is simply telling you, just like he told this guy, because if he can get this guy who is demon-possessed living in tombs to be disciple-maker immediately after he came in contact with him, I'm sure that he can use you too. Because when you go where Jesus calls you to go, you will be mobilized. And when you do what Jesus tells you to do, he's going to show up. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be a lot. You just have to believe and share what you know, even if all you have is your testimony. This is Mark 5. This is the demoniac's testimony that changed cities. It changed people's lives by the droves because he was faithful with what he had. And listen, maybe you're stirred. Maybe you heard last week's sermon. I talked to a lot of you last week that you're like, oh my gosh, man, Pastor Mike's sermon was so convicting. And, and maybe this is in that same vein. And you might be like, ah, I still don't know what I'm doing. Okay, we've got you covered, okay? We've got something called discipleship training. That's literally what we do. We help train you to be a disciple and a disciple maker. So we want to train you so that you can become who God has called you to be. And when you have those moments, you know what to do. If you're like, man, I want to start a discipleship group. I want to make disciples. I don't know what that means. I want to start a microchurch. I don't know how to do that. Let us train you. Let us walk this out. Maybe you're like, I don't even know what it means to be a disciple. Let us teach you what it means to be a passionate follower of Jesus. So we're going to put a QR code up on the screen. So these are our, our Summer Strides classes, and we've aligned all of these to be around this idea of being and making disciples. So we've got something for you. If you're parents and you're like, I don't know how to disciple my kids, we've got you covered. If you're like, man, I want to go to this disciple training class, hit that QR code, sign up. We've got one at the end of this sermon series in August that's really going to help you figure out what to do and how to do it. Because I want everyone in the Greenhouse Church to be without excuse for why they can or cannot make disciples. All right, the second thing I hear from people is, Matt, I'm so jacked up. I'm so messed up. You don't want people following me. I've got so much going on in my life. Now, most of the time, what that means is you're human and you struggle with some things, but 
the beautiful thing is, now, okay, so granted, there are some times in your life where you shouldn't be making disciples. If you have major sin issues or you're going through a really hard life struggle, then, and you're like, well, I don't know the line behind that. Okay, well, we'll talk to your microchurch leader. Talk to them, see where you're at, see if they feel good with you in the season you're in, making disciples. You can talk to the pastors of the church. You can talk to anybody who's in leadership, and they can help you figure that out. But the beauty is that for the most part, we're going to want you to be whole so that you can reproduce wholeness. But when you are, for the most part, we have to be okay with the fact also. That, have you noticed that you're never really where you want to be spiritually? You know, we can always make up more. Oh, man, Matt, I, I, just a little bit longer. Let me, let, me get, let me just be better for a little bit longer. Let me just get this done. Let me get this. You know, we're never going to live up to our own spiritual expectations. Now, this is where the genius of the apostle Paul comes into play. Because Paul knew he wasn't perfect. Paul knew that he was in massive need of grace. So how did he lead people, churches, disciples, and disciple makers so well? Sure, he's got a lot of good things going. He's one of the most influential people ever. But I also think that it's because Paul understood his place in the discipleship paradigm. He penned 1 Corinthians 11.1. It says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Why is this such a genius move on Paul's part? Because Paul's not saying, hey, follow me because I'm kind of a big deal. He's not saying, hey, follow me because I've got a lot of ministry experience. He doesn't say, follow me because I have it all together. No, he says, follow me and my example as I follow Christ and his example. And the reason that's so groundbreaking to me is because if I just said, hey, follow me, guess what? The onus is on me on me being good, on me being perfect, on me having everything together. But when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, now the object of our attention is not me or you, it's Christ who we're following, and we are leading people in the ways of Jesus. And so what happens here is if you follow, say, follow me, yeah, you better be perfect. But if you say, follow me as I follow Christ, you still have room to be human and be a strong disciple maker at the same time. Because great disciple makers, they don't have it all together. Newsflash, nobody's perfect. But what great disciple makers do is that they allow people into their lives and see their day-to-day and how everyday life interacts with God and how those two things interplay together. So the best disciple makers, they let people see they're good, they let them see they're bad, they let them see the ugly that happens. We don't do this in unhealthy ways, but just good disciple making happens in two ways. Organically, kind of those moments where there's just no agenda. You're just having lunch. You're going to, you're going to dinner after church. You're watching a, a soccer game. You're, you're going out and you're, you're whatever. Whatever you're doing, kind of whatever you do, you just bring people along with you. Then you have those organized times where you're seeking the Lord together. You're memorizing scripture. You're fasting. You're sharing your faith. You're at microchurch together, things like that. But in those organic moments, those are the ones that a lot of people are scared to bring people into, right? You're like, well, what if they're at my house and my kids don't obey? You know, yeah, have you ever heard like, all right, pray, why are we going to pray now, Mom? We never pray. You know, like when, you know, you're like, oh, no, that's not what you're supposed to say. I mean, there, there's moments that we have sometimes where we want it to look good, but it doesn't. And what do we do in those moments? It's kind of terrifying because we're all going to mess up. We know you're a screw-up. It's okay. I am too. But the key is, what do you do with those screw-ups? So we've got a summer internship that happens. We have college students that they come for a couple weeks over summer A, and we just train them, we, we, they seek the Lord, we, we give them teachings, and try, all that kind of stuff, and, uh, and it happens every year. A couple years ago, um, you know, my microchurch was like a really athletic bunch. We had like a former UF soccer player, she was a, just an 
athlete of athletes. We had two guys who were like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, um, so we loved playing ultimate frisbee. So we would just play ultimate frisbee, and we didn't lose, by the way. And so, uh, <laughs> but we were good. And so the summer interns caught wind of this, and so they're like, talking all this smack, like, oh, we're going to beat you. I'm like, okay, okay. And they just kept going. I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to figure this out. Tonight, Friday night, 7 p.m., we're going to the field in front of the education building, and we're going to play this and see who is the better team. Now, I get a little competitive when I play sports, so I'm like praying, oh, Jesus, help me not like get in the flesh and lose my marbles in front of all these summer interns. And there's this one intern that he didn't really have like perception of physical space. You know, you ever play sports with somebody who is just kind of like a bull in a china shop? I mean, this guy, we're playing ultimate frisbee. It's a non-contact sport. And he just is like, wow, like running people over, like knocking them over. I'm like, okay, dude, you got to calm down. You got to calm down. He's like, oh, yeah. And he does it again. I'm like, listen, bro, my eyes starting to twitch at this point. I'm like, you got to calm down. And then he like knocks over one of the women on my team. I'm like, you have got to figure this out or you got to stop playing. And so I was like, okay, okay, I got it. You know, I, I get myself under control. And so um, somebody, one of the teams, like one of the personal teams, they throw the Frisbee, and they just, it's a perfect throw. It's going into the end zone. I'm like in an all-out sprint. I'm just going for it. I'm like, it's in the end zone, and I see it, and I just jump up. I'm like fully extended. I grab this Frisbee. My feet are like, you know, I have like a three-inch vertical. So my it's like three feet off, but I'm off the ground as much as I can. And this kid comes, and he just takes my legs out from under me. And I just like fall backwards and I can't catch myself and I hit the ground. I have this thing about my head. I don't like people touching or hitting my head. And I just, I just like, I just see red when that happens. I hit the ground in 0.2 seconds. I'm like back up. I caught the Frisbee, by the way. Um, I'm back up and I am in this summer intern's face, like yelling, screaming, pointing, pushing. I don't really remember all that happened. All I remember is that somebody from my mic church had to like take me away from this kid. And after I cooled down for a second, I was like, oh, God, this is embarrassing. Because <laughs> here I am, like, Pastor Matt, like, I just taught you how to seek the Lord. I taught you how to fast. I taught you the spiritual disciplines. And now I'm screaming in your face. I was like, okay. So I called everybody together. I was like, all right, hey, listen, I'm so sorry. Like, I repent to you. I repent to your, this team. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry you lost. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I really did. I was just like, hey, listen, I, I blew it. I just blew it bad. That's not the way we need to respond as disciples. Fast forward a few weeks later, the summer internship's ending. We have all these people, all the summer interns kind of in a circle. We're asking, hey, what was the most impactful part of your summer internship? We're going around. One of the kids said, you know what my most impactful part was? When you lost your cookies playing Ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> and, you know, I'm trying to, like, all, all part of me wanted to, like, just be like, well, that's because that kid was stupid. You know, I, like, wanted to fight back, but I didn't. Kept it cool. But then I asked the kid, I was like, hey, so after, after the circle broke up, I was like, so, so why was that, I mean, are you just mocking me? Like, was that really like a significant part of your internship? And he said, no, listen. He said, we see you pastors up here praying and teaching and doing all this like holy stuff. He's like, it was just good to see that you're human, that you mess up sometimes. I was like, oh, okay, okay. When disciple makers are perfect, we do our disciples a disservice. Because what we do is we put ourselves on a pedestal. When you put your best foot forward every single time you're with the person you're discipling, they're going to create that narrative in your head. Well, Deborah never sins. Judith is like perfect. I mean, I don't even understand. Like, I'm, and then what happens is I'm not, you're, this, is how the, this is how it goes. Well, she's perfect. I'm not. I must be broken. 
there must be something inherently wrong with me because I can't live the way they do. Our disciples need to see the times where you struggle. They need, now, don't be like awkward and pull them in and make this about you, but share from the other side of victory of the times where you had issues, you had struggles, and Jesus helped you get through it. We got to see that. We have to see that. Because when we do what Jesus tells us to do, you need to expect him to show up. And I don't mean those moments where you hear God's voice and it's this super miraculous. I'm talking about the moments where you screw up, you mess up, and you slip up as well. What does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to repent. He calls us to change our thoughts and our actions and turn towards him. And when you show that to people, you re they realize, okay, this is my response in those situations and scenarios. And it's very helpful for them to see that in action. All right, let me take a, a theological time out real quick as well. When we mess up, just if you're already following Jesus, if you love him, if you started following him, you've already given your life to him, you don't have to ask for forgiveness. I hear a lot of people when you mess up, ask for forgiveness. You don't have to do that anymore. Jesus took your sins, past, present, future. He atoned for them. He made you at one with God. What we do, though, as disciples is we repent. We, we turn from those ways. We start doing God's ways. We ask him for the grace and the fuel to be like him in those moments. But it's such a load off when we realize, okay, my salvation is secure. I don't have to worry. Like, did I sin and mess up? And now did I kind of lose my salvation? Did I do something wrong? No, that's not how it works. We ask God for the grace and the strength to move forward in him and through his grace. And because of his forgiveness and what he did on the cross, we don't have to worry about forgiveness anymore. We become more like him and we are transformed into his image, but forgiveness is taken care of on the cross. I feel like somebody needs to hear that. Yeah, that's worth, that's worth saying amen to. All right, so time back in with disciple making. Good disciple makers aren't perfect, but they know their screw-ups, <laughs> and they use those as object lessons and times for them to share with their disciples how to move out of those types of things. And this is a great thing. Like, we don't have to have it all together, just like the original 12 disciples barely had it together initially. I mean, you just need to follow Jesus and invite others to follow you as you follow Christ. And when you do that, healthy, constructive discipleship can take place. So the summer internship this year, we had a college student, like, we just kind of put them in the fire this year. We said, okay, we're going to teach you and train you, but you're going to lead a microchurch from scratch. You're going to go find the people. You can't just pull them. Like, go find people to lead a microchurch with and just go do it. And they're kind of like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. You know, like knees buckling a little bit. That's, that's pretty intimidating for most of us, especially if you're 18 to 22 years old. So they went and did it, and it was just really great. I, I talked to one of them, they're like, Matt, I'll be honest. I, I didn't really think I had it. I didn't know that I, I had what it took. I, I was like, really nervous. I was kind of, and he kind of fumbled through. He's like, I wasn't equipped, I felt like, to do this. But once I started doing it, man, I started to feel really like, okay, yeah, Jesus, we can do this. We can do this. And it's great because he didn't catch that until after he got out of the boat, right? After he took that step, after he said, you know what, I'm going to go do this. This guy, Bob Sorge, said one time, he said, God doesn't create the ship until you're in the water, right? So sometimes we got to just go do it, and then God is going to show up. And we got to know when we do what Jesus calls us to do, he will show up. And when you go where he wants you to go, he's going to mobilize you in ways that you've always dreamed and imagined. But sometimes you'll never know until you go do it. But here's the, here's the reality. The Holy Spirit's ability to give you what you need is greater than your ability to screw it up. Okay, so it really is kind of a, a, an arrogant 
thing to say, to say, God, I'm so unequipped when 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. So it's not saying because you're so great, he calls you. It says his divine power has given you everything you need by what? His own glory and goodness. He doesn't say about your ability to get it right. He says by his own glory and goodness that he pours out freely in you. And that's the beauty of following Jesus. He knows that we don't have it all together, just like everybody else he's ever used in history didn't have it together. It's a bummer when I'm reading this, like, oh, David, a man after God's own heart. Man, surely he's got it together. But that joker, man, I mean, he committed adultery. He killed one of his best men just to sleep with his wife, and he let all this stuff. I mean, it's like, wait, how is this? Man, what? <laughs> like, how does this work? But, but God looks at the inside, doesn't look at the outside. He looks at our heart. There's that freedom that comes with, like, if we step out and we do what God calls us to do, he's going to show us what to do. Because here's the deal, y'all. Whether you're following Jesus or not, we want to leave a legacy. That's built into our DNA. You see people try to do this with, with jobs, with, with companies, with climbing the corporate ladder, with, with kids, or with trying to be really great at something, or trying to give something to humanity. Like, I'm going to create something that's going to help, like, or I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to send good vibes to the world. Like, well, everybody does it in their own way, but we want to do something. We want to do something that lasts. And the thing is, the only thing that's going to last is eternal things. And when we do what God calls us to do, and when he shows up, those are the moments that count. Those are the moments that matter. But if we're honest with ourselves, we do feel incomplete sometimes. We do feel like, man, Lord, I just, I I wish I could be better at this. I'm going to try harder. But we're incomplete, and we're never going to feel like we're equipped enough. And we're never going to do enough stuff to get us to that place where we feel equipped enough. We're always going to be in the doubting camp in some form or fashion. But bottom line is, like, we, just, we need Jesus. You're right. You can't do this on your own. And that's good news because the good news is you can't do it. Like, why is that good news, man? Because the good news is that the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead dwells inside of you richly. That's what the Bible says. The same spirit that gave Jesus the vision and the ability to take 12 ragtag disciples and change the world, that's the same spirit that is inside of you, fueling your ministry and helping you live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. So when you do what Jesus tells you to do, man, church, expect him to show up. Let's have faith that allows God to be God and let our brokenness be filled with his goodness and his glory and watch how your life and the lives of those around you radically get changed. Because here's the reality. We're going to be in the Great Commission here for the next few weeks. It's pretty black and white. We're called to make disciples. There's no wiggling out of this one. He says, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them. But this is the beauty. He says, and surely I am with you. I'm with you guys. He doesn't just say, I'm with you when you're good. I'm with you when you're done. He says, I'm with you to the very end of the age. So yes, he's calling you, but yes, he's fueling you. Yes, he's pursuing you and he wants you to pursue others. Yes, he wants you to be a disciple, but he also wants you to be a disciple that makes disciples. So this morning, I'm asking you to accept the call. Press into the spirit who will give you the strength to be the disciple you want to be and make the disciples he's calling you to make. Let's pray. You know, this morning, 
Jesus is asking you to take the next step. And that's going to look different for every person in this room. It might be that you're in here, you're watching online, and, and you haven't started following Jesus yet. You're like, I don't even know what a disciple is. Well, the reality is God made you with purpose. He did. But we choose to do things our own way. We sin, and sin leads us to a place of brokenness. And in that brokenness, we feel that void, and we go after different things. We pursue that, that, that wholeness and that completeness through whether it's, it's social gain, whether it's sex, whether it's relationships, whether it's uh, uh, like having our dad be proud of us, whether it's having, like climbing the corporate ladder, how, drugs or alcohol, whatever the brokenness is that you're trying to fill, it's not gonna get filled in that way. But the beautiful thing is that God doesn't leave us where we're at. He knows and realizes that we have a need for something greater and he realizes that we're not gonna find it without him. And God doesn't leave us in, his, in our brokenness. He allows Jesus to come and to live the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. He took on all of our sin and our shame on the cross. He gave us a way to connect with God the Father in a way that we could never do on our own. And salvation is like a gift. You just have to receive it. Jesus is holding it out and says, hey, this is for you. Receive this in my name. And if you confess with your mouth, you believe with your heart that Christ raised, God raised Christ from the dead, you're going to be saved. You're going to start walking in that fullness and that new life that he has for you. So maybe today is your day of salvation. Maybe it's your day to say, Jesus, I am ready and willing to give my life 